Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 18 of the Movement Docs Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest, Dr. Zach Gabor. Zach graduated with his DPT from Ithaca College in 2015. During his grad school experience, Zach was a personal trainer and a TA for several courses, including gross anatomy and musculoskeletal exam. Zach now works at Boston PT and Wellness in Medford, Massachusetts, where he gets his work with a variety in the athletic population, specifically weightlifters and endurance athletes. When he's not working his 40-hour weeks at the clinic, you can find him teaching workshops on pain science and strength and training, guest lecturing, and advocating for humans and healthcare. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, boys. We're excited. I'm, I just, I don't know if you saw my experience bar before we started this podcast, but like, I'm 50 points away from leveling up. And so <laughs> I think Dude, by the end of our journey together, <laughs> by the end of our journey together, I think I might be a level five new grad PT mm. instead of a level four. <laughs> so. only, only, only time will tell, man, but uh, let's get this RPG started. Yeah, it should be good. Make sure you got your health potions ready. <laughs> uh, so oh. speaking of RPGs, every great hero needs a background. So, Zach, would you please enlighten us as to the story of your character so far? Okay, so a little bit about my character. I, uh, I went to Ithaca College. I actually applied to Ithaca College to be a history teacher. I wanted to be <laughs> – I applied to the history program, so I wanted to teach history. And um, then when I went and visited there, I had tour guides that were PT majors. And, uh, and then I went to Quinnipiac and went on a, a tour there, and my guides were PT majors as well. And I was like, yo, PT is actually like a pretty cool major. I had played soccer very competitively my whole life and always loved exercise. And I was like, you know what? I think that this sounds way more interesting and fun than teaching history. <laughs> so I shadowed in high school. I loved it. I reapplied and I got into Ithaca's program and I went for it. And then I went there and started up my junior year with anatomy. And it was kind of love at first sort of course. I absolutely fell in love with it and didn't realize how much I would love it. And through those experiences, I, I ended up actually teaching quite a bit which confirmed my, I guess, my underlying love for teaching. That's probably my, if, if we're doing a RPG, my power would be teaching. That would be my main, my main category. <laughs> I love that stuff. And it's more so the empowerment and motivation through teaching that I really love. So I got to teach anatomy. I got to teach musculoskeletal exam. And that really just sealed the deal for me. And then got out of, got out of school, super biomedical, um, as school kind of trains us to be. And Back in my day, three years ago, there wasn't all there wasn't all this amazing social media that was challenging the way we thought about stuff. So I didn't really know much better than besides to be that smarty pants, egocentric new grad PT that was well intentioned telling every telling patient every single thing that was wrong with them. Hmm. And so it was a it was a tough pill to, pill to swallow, but I ended up much better for it in the long run. I got you. That's awesome. <laughs> So it's kind of like a, a big uh, learning experience for you from when you graduated initially to like where you are now, kind of like as you're growing those skill trees, if you will. Dude, huge, huge town. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's funny. I have, I have students in to shadow and 
I look at the way I do evals and initial assessments now, and I'm like, wow, like if this was brand new grad Zach doing this versus now, holy cow, the difference is remarkable. Do you, Dude, uh, new, new, new grad Zach and second year PT school Jake would have been great friends. <laughs> <laughs> Back when you just Google searched articles that supported your views and only read the conclusion. Yep. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. Oh, man. Whew. So, Zach, you just mentioned that you have uh, students that shadow you and everything. I uh, just had yeah. a question that kind of popped in my mind. Do you see, like, a little bit of yourself in those students when they're coming in and they're kind of, like, shadowing you? In, in terms of, like, where I was at as a new grad and as, as a student, or how do you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, do you see, like, as they're coming out or as they're, like, shadowing you, do you find that they're, like, coming to the similar conclusions that you had, like, right when you came out of the box or, or any of that kind of stuff? Well, well, yeah. Well, I think they're very, they're very much so biomedically influenced. So, for example, like I had a really awesome, super bright kid shadowing me the other day. We had an eval with this patient with, you know, persistent, as I call, schneck pain. Um, and we were just, he sat through the diagnosis or sat through the assessment with me. And, you know, I told the patient, I was like, all right, we're going to go chat one second. I asked him sort of his differential diagnosis. And he's like, well, you know, it could be like the left scap. It could be like the upper trap. And, you know, he was thinking very, very, like, structural tissue-based, whereas I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, hearing the clinical patterns of what she was sensitive to in terms of, like, she was kind of gave away in her subjective that neural tension was something that was an issue for her. Sustained postures in an unsupported position was something she was sensitive to at the time. So rather than, you know, honing in on a direct biomedical tissue, you know, really most of the treatment talked about activity modification and and strategies to decrease what she was sensitive to while finding an entry point to movement and caring less about the diagnosis and more about the prognosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you. But, but it was interesting because I would have, I told him, I was like, I would have, and it's not wrong. I think you should still be able to, in your whiteboard differential diagnosis sort of thing, be able to list out all of the separate things that could be present that could be logically possible. So whether the lev scap was involved or whatever nerve roots of the brachial plexus could be involved, you know, it's important to be able to literally list all these, all of these things out. And then what you will find as you start to get more experienced as a clinician is your ability to sift through and reason what's actually relevant for the human in front of you. Mm, okay. So it's almost like you're casting like a really wide net and then kind of narrowing it down from there based on the things that you see. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing is I think people get carried away with this whole BPS stuff where it's like, well, structure doesn't matter at all and like whatever. And I'm like, no, like I still think like I'm a hardo when I have students come in, I expect them to know their anatomy inside and out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I expect them to be able to clinically reason what structures could be involved. Mm-hmm. But that being said, it's about sort of reconceptualizing that under a pain science framework or a sensitivity framework and then talking about how we're actually going to manage that because the the pinpoint structural diagnosis doesn't really change how we're going to go about the prog- like how we're going to go about our treatment plan. Mm-hmm. So which is interesting because we we've had this conversation uh, before um, I forget, I guess it might've been with uh, CJ De Palma, mm-hmm. um, about how, and I think with, with Riley too, Mike, mm-hmm. um, you know, we come out of school and in, in PT school, we were taught like, you have to come up with a movement diagnosis, right? And so they throw out these terms like scapular dyskinesis yep. and kind of all these like nebulous things or whatever. But then when you get out to the clinic and you're working with insurance, it's like, oh no, 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 you have to put in some sort of medical diagnosis. 
and you're at this position where it's like, dude, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Like I can't technically make a medical diagnosis, but you have to put it in for insurance. And so it's like a funky thing. And so I like the, I guess what I tend to use now is just the pain codes. Like when I'm diagnosing somebody with something, it's just pain in right shoulder. That's yeah, dude. Same here. I love that. Cause I mean, yeah, you can get, you can get nitpicky and, and certainly there are points where knowing, you know, the anatomy and the structures involved are very important, especially if you're doing like direct access stuff and you got to be able to, you, know, you got to know your stuff to be, make sure that you're um, not treating somebody that needs to be referred out for, you know, cancer or a triple a or something like that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I love that mindset of just kind of going back to what we're supposed to be doing with movement stuff and just using something as simple as pain to kind of guide you. And then as you were saying before, like, you know, check their tolerance to positions, check their, you know, what, what is it they can't do? What is it that they want to do? And how do we, how do we make that change? How do we transfer somebody to get, get back to what they want to do in more of a broader, more, um, human based approach versus just going, Oh, well you have subacromial bursitis. So these are the three exercises that you have to do for the rest of your life. Right. And so that's, that's the hard thing is, and, and this is what I talk to patients about on a daily basis is it's well-intentioned. So it's not, you know, it's important not to belittle and make colleagues feel like a-holes because they're, you know, think that they're doing right by the patient. Well, with a little bit of ego mixed in, and that's the part that I would want to belittle, but you know, it's well-intentioned, you know, they're trying to do their best, but it's also a little bit, I don't know. It's just, I don't think it's, we're in a, we're in a profession that serves people. So if everyone's not doing their best to stay up to date and realizing how those terms can be affecting people, you know, we definitely need to be having conversations with them. But when it comes to talking with the patients, I don't talk down on other healthcare pros. I just tell them it's well-intentioned, but we need to be getting away from that stuff because these words do more harm than good. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, man. It's, it's a daily grind. It's a daily, like, Shit storm, S storm, sorry, trying to, <laughs> trying to deal, okay. that's my only one, trying to deal with <laughs> and organizing all these different beliefs. It's, it's tough. So, so now that you, you kind of have this mindset, what was it that transitioned first year new grad Zach, who was very much entrenched in the biomedical skill set to changing and like maybe respecting your character for a different skill tree. Yeah. What, what brought that yeah, on? Yeah. So I, to be fair, I did have one guest lecture in, in college from a really, really smart dude named Mike Costello. And he dropped some crazy pain science knowledge bombs on us, which was kind of the first sort of like, it was the first sort of like, whoa, it, it kind of blew my mind, but I didn't necessarily know how to use that clinically or how that, how that changed a lot of what I learned in school because the way that we learned it, it didn't necessarily challenge that. It was just kind of this other cool thing. And so what really happened was I was interested in pain science when I graduated, but it, I didn't really realize the implications in terms of language until I was very lucky, totally randomly through a, a patient, his like nephew ran a red cord clinic in New Jersey and he knew Chris Johnson and he got me in touch with Chris Johnson and we just, we spoke for like 30 minutes and like those 30 minutes changed my life. Um, I really, everything that I've accomplished, you know, a lot of my current philosophies, I really owe to Chris Johnson because he was the one 
that was kind of just like, you know, I was like, Chris, what should, you know, like, I have so many questions, like, what system should I take? Like, should I take SFMA? What manual courses should I do? Like, what continuing ed should I do? Da, 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 da. He was like, dude, calm the F down. <laughs> he was like, he was like, let's, let's think about something. He was like, what are, what are patients coming into you with? What's their primary complaint? And I was like, I don't know, usually something around pain. He's like, yeah, exactly. He was like, you should spend more time learning about that and less time worrying about all of these other system paradigms. And he talked about Oakham's razor and, you know, making sure we're not overcomplicating things and just basically like put an emphasis on human interaction, motivational interviewing, learning how to weave in pain science, spend less time in sort of these like system paradigms and more time learning how to really build these great relationships and therapeutic alliances and simplifying your approach through these frameworks. And I was just like, Oh my God. It was like, <laughs> it was, such a, uh, it was such a massive pill and it wasn't, I wasn't like mad, but it really woke me up. It really was like, Holy cow. Like, you know, I've been doing so much more harm than good with all of these, you know, over analyzing strategies I was doing, telling patients everything that was quote unquote wrong with them. And though well-intentioned, I immediately started working on changing my verbiage, changing my language, changing my, you know, continuing ed strategies on what I was going to learn. And, uh, it was really powerful. So, you know, I really thank Chris for that. And that's why, you know, much like a lot of other people in this field, I'm just trying to help promote and advocate for this message sooner rather than later so that they don't have to wait for it as late as I did. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's an awesome story. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then also follow that up with uh, a fellow named Ramez, who was my mentor that I did a, a, a makeshift, a makeshift residency under for six months. Um, he is a very neurocentric driven um, outpatient PT. He had done like a PNF residency and he's about to be teaching for SFMA, but you know, he's very movement influenced, very uh, neuro influenced. And he kind of struck into me the importance of how neurocentric everything we do is. So kind of like talking about one of the things that really sticks with me from what he said was every system works to every person. Their system is the best system. How can that be? You know, there's way more commonalities than we understand. So be wary when you're diving down into any paradigm. And realize that at the end of the day, probably a lot of what's happening is these inputs, whether it's words and manual inputs, are manipulating the nervous system to change outputs. And a lot of that comes down to building a really fire therapeutic alliance and having logical thought processes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was really powerful for me as well. And uh, that's ultimately what led me to go and create this mentorship under Remez for six months because it was really a unique and cool learning opportunity for myself. And those were the two guys that really influenced me getting out of that purely biomedical rabbit hole and coming out stronger the other side for it. Yeah. I, I love that. The uh, common denominator, right. Between all these different systems, you know, so it's like, you know, you got these SFMA camps and you got these like heavy, like manual therapy camps and all this kind of stuff. And uh, people yep. saying, this is, you know, this is better than this because of this. And, you know, there's no research on this, blah, blah, blah. And people are like tearing each other down. But ultimately it's, I mean, different approaches, but same kind of thing, right? You have a systematic way of evaluating and checking and rechecking yourself. And like you said, building a fire therapeutic alliance and, and helping somebody get better. So I think that's, that's really cool. 
and it's just I don't know that my thing on systems is like I think I don't know I go back and forth I I never want to discourage anyone from learning and going into these paradigms of, mm-hmm. of assessment and treatment. Like I actually, I really appreciate the logic of the SFMA. I don't necessarily do breakouts. I like the logic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that being said, I feel like, you know, when we do go down these paradigms, it forces us to kind of treat within these, these sort of words and these thought processes that detract from creating these relationships based on, you know, Patients being the star of the show. Yeah, I'm just a tour guide. I I need to use as least fancy language and these sort of like crazy explanations as possible, mm-hmm. and really just get them to buy into empowering and and realizing that they don't need me. That's so that's where I get caught up, kind of on like if we're you know let's say for SFMA, if I'm like, well, you have a left motor control dysfunction of your left hip. That's a that's a thought virus yeah. that's gonna stick with them. Yeah. And then you can do that you can literally do that for any system. Like if I'm do I took FR and then if I go, well, you have a barren tissue tension in your, you know, right brachioradialis, like that's a thought virus. Yeah. If I, you know, go down the you know, if I go down the orthopedic manual therapy route and I'm like, you know, the Colton born, that's what I, I Remez was a two year fellow out of that. And so I learned a bunch of that. And it's like, well, if you have a this joint dysfunction, you know, the, the verbiage that we use in these systems can be really negative for patients. So I think it's important to be able to think on some of those lines, but you know, at the end of the day, Oakham's razor, I think that we can, I think that we can probably simplify a lot of what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but it's a very egocentric driven profession. And I think it's really hard for people to get away from letting go of some of that, like sexiness of systems. But I go through a pendulum swing in my own head of saying, well, I think we should want to push ourselves to want to learn as much of this cool stuff as possible. But we're in a, we're in a profession that serves humans. So like at the end of the day, like I want to be investing my time into more things that like motivational psychology and motivational interviewing that are really going to empower them to take control of their life and not depend on me. Yeah. You're ultimately trying to like work yourself out of a job, right? You want to get somebody yeah, back to their, on their feet and, and in, in control of their life as, as quickly as possible and feeling good. Mm -hmm. The goal is to go out of business, man. Yeah, man. Dude, it's, it's interesting that you, you bring up uh, like the systems and stuff because Mike, Mike is down right now at Exos and I was there last year and I feel like that clinic for me was a very influential one because I mean, we got exposed to the SFMA, we kind of learned it. Um, but just the idea of being like more movement based. Um, and so, I mean, even in my practice now, like I definitely use the SFMA a good bit and because I try to be more like exercise based and hands off and try to, you know, empower people as much as possible, make them realize that they can be the change that they want to have. Um, but there was an interesting post on clinical athlete. I think it was Michael Amato because I think Sam was asking about, uh, the SFMA or like con ed courses or something like that. And he had gone to the, the scientific principles of sports rehab. Um, and Michael Ray was talking about how, you know, his big thing with the SFMA is it, it dichotomizes people, right? You're either functional, painful, or dysfunctional, right. painful, or dysfunctional, non-painful, or, and you can get hung up on those, like, those labels and, and, and categorizing people and trying to put them in boxes, just like what you're saying. 
And so, like, after reading that, I mean, as a, as a student, like, you know, end-time end student, new grad, I, I'm sitting there just like, what the hell am I supposed right. to do? Because this is how I treat right now, and, like, everything is wrong, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making all these thought viruses. But, you know, just – I am still utilize those things, but I, I try to make an effort to not tell them, you know – what's going on it's basically just like hey i just want to look at how you move and you know we'll see if there's anything that that bothers you and and kind of like go well, from there you know because some of those things can be objective measures for me like okay well their left hip internal rotation is painful you know maybe we'll do some stuff and come back like oh that, that's you don't feel pain there anymore so totally. right or wrong i mean i you know just like you're saying my pendulum's swinging around a lot too i don't know what direction <laughs> it's going in more of a, more of a tornado, um, less of like a linear pendulum yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah <laughs> no I, no i feel you and that's um, why it's like i think movement is a commonality between behind a lot of the systems and i have no issues at all with thinking along those lines like i'm a huge 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 like another thing i really learned from Ramez was you know soft on methods hard on principles hmm. it's like use the logic from these systems i love the, love the logic from some of these systems mm -hmm. it really helps me create my own sort of like zach thought process mm -hmm. so i don't feel like i have yeah. to do like i don't do a full sfma breakout but it doesn't mean i'm not thinking about some of the general categories of like general like motor control or you know different types of stability and mobility like i think those can be helpful things in your head and then how you frame it is an entirely different story, which takes practice. So that's the big thing: is not to exactly. get discouraged from taking some of these systems. I would encourage. Like, I think the SFMA is a great starting point for a lot of students that are influenced by movement. I think a lot, there's a lot of good logic, and like I said, I wouldn't discourage people from taking any system. I, you know, I think it's good to dabble into these and be able to understand some of the languages. It's just making sure that no matter what you do you're remaining unbiased, you're, you're challenging it in a healthy manner, and then you're making sure that you're framing it in a way that doesn't, you know, box patients into a dysfunction or a category and more of like, all right, you're sensitive to this or, you know, we're having some issues doing this, like, let's work on that and we'll get you doing what's meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely, completely agree with that because just like you're saying, I mean, as long as you question and and try to critically think through, you know, everything that you're exposed to, there's always going to be value in yeah. taking a course and learning mm -hmm. what other people's thought processes are, right? As long as you don't you don't get sucked in and go like, you know, this is right. this is the only way, and you aren't open to other ideas and and, and stuff that's coming out with you know, literature and research and, and just new new concepts that are coming out like every month, every day. And then also at the same time, use that whole concept of like metacognition and think about mm -hmm. how you're thinking about things. Think about how you're you're talking to patients. Think about, I mean, that's one thing. That's that, an awesome part. Just being exposed to metacognition. That comes yeah. from one of our professors. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just being exposed to, to people like you and people on Clinical Athlete and just that whole concept of like, you know, questioning all these things and questioning how you're interacting with people, questioning about the verbiage that you're using and, and how that affects how people think about themselves, how people think about, you know, what, what's going on injury wise. Like, dude, that's been the biggest thing for me is just changing my thought process. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a new grad PT. I'm, I'm nobody special, You are though, but I try to, I try to, I try to be better every day. But, you know, a lot of that stuff is just that constant self-reflection of, of, you know, pulling concepts like that, just constantly going, how can I, how can I make this better? Did I, did I end up 
messing someone up worse because of the way that I frame this. That's the thing is though, is that that is what makes you special. And that is, in my opinion, the secret sauce. Like I will take, I will take self-reflection and growth mindset as a characteristic over anything else, you know, like if I have a student working with me, like if they're critical of themselves in a, in a positive way that, that, you know, influences growth, that's what I want. That's the type of patient, that's the type of student I want to work with. And those are the ty- those are the types of professionals that are going to be the leaders and the game changers in PT because they're not scared to be uncomfortable. They're not scared to challenge the way that we've always done things because that's the issue is we get people that are huge advocates of their one system and then it detracts from the goal of serving humans. It's yeah. like about me and and promoting my system and not about, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just my my idea is that we're kind of investing some of our some of our efforts into not as meaningful categories of growth. Yeah, I mean, what's the ultimate point, right? It's it's the patient in front of you. You know, we're we're kind of like harbingers and like helping helping guide in a way, but ultimately we're empowering them to take control. And the person in front of you is the most important. It's not you know what credentials you have, what certifications you have, you know, like what way you go about things. It's, it's how can you help this person get better? Yep, absolutely. And that's why I think I'm so impressed by the quality of new grads coming out that are just like taking it upon themselves to get out of their comfort zone and challenge the way that they're taught stuff in school. Because you look at the questions on the board still, and you're just like, I want to like, I do the face pump. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we're still teaching adhesions being broken up by, by our hands. Like that's a question. That's crazy. Like, you know, and, and manual therapy. I mean, I, like I said, my mentorship was under a guy who did a two year fellowship in the Carlton born approach. And I learned a lot of really good stuff from that in terms of like diagnostic logic, when you kind of reframe that through a sensitivity framework, but you know, I'm still, it's still super important to update the narratives that we use when we're, when we're performing manual therapy, you know, like it's just, you would be incorrect if you literally gave the narratives that we learned in school. Like you would be incorrect and you would be perpetuating thought viruses if you explain manual therapy the way that it's taught on the boards. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so, Zach, you kind of reminded me with this conversation thread that we're, we're on right now. This is a little bit of a sneak peek from the conversation we had with uh, Dr. Marshall last night. Um, but his whole thing is at the end when we ask our question, we ask everybody. Uh, he talked about the, the big thing to him is just hmm. add value, Right. And that even though we're in a profession that like, you know, we capitalize on people being injured, right? And so from a business standpoint, like we, to be a good business person, you would want to just like crank people through like over and over, like, you know, eight more visits, five more visits, three more visits. Like you need to keep coming back. Like you need us. You need to be mobilized. You need this. You need that. And, but if we do good, if we're good at our job, like people shouldn't be in for more yep. than a handful of visits. Right. If we if we do if we do things the way that we're supposed to ethically and empower people, they they shouldn't be in the clinic. Like, why are you wasting your money? Why are you wasting your insurance visits coming here to hang out with me? I mean, I love hanging out with you. You're awesome. Absolutely. And and his thing was, you know, it seems like that that would be a bit a bad business idea (laughs) to do. Just be good at your job. But the thing is, if you can get people to experience change in that short of time, 
they're going to go out there and they're well, going to tell their that's friends, exactly, right? And you're going to create a positive that's change. That's exactly the model, man. That, and that's why our clinic, Boston PT and Wellness, is extremely successful because our average visits per patient is probably sitting somewhere around five. Like, we really, like, my goal is to, at most, I'll see a patient twice a week unless they're like a high-level athlete that is doing a post-op that wants to be in three times a week. That's a different story. But for your for your average patient coming in, you know, we view ourselves, we're, we're more of coaches and consultants. We are not like fixers. And uh, I think that's the yeah. thing is when we can start to, you know, advocate for our profession to step up and embrace that, you know, you get customers for life, man. Like when they do, people inevitably do run into some little aches and pains and they come right back to you. They tell all their friends and family, like, these guys are legit. This is like nothing else that I've ever been to because they're not trying to milk you for, you know, every insurance visit you have. Yeah. And then we'll at, finally we'll move towards more of a <clears throat> proactive model and less of a reactive model. That's the thing is if we start to put ourselves out of business, we'll redefine the way that we can kind of be in the healthcare landscape and start to become more of this proactive wellness model where we're in a great position to empower people to live their healthiest lives and not have to need us. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's, yeah, that's man, the freaking well, dream. To man. be honest, I think, I think that it's more realistic <laughs> than we think, you know, that's the goal is to just keep getting folks like y'all, like, you know, being advocates for this type of stuff and, and spreading the good word. And it seems that the messages are getting louder, but you know, it's going to take some time, but I think we'll get there. Mm -hmm. It's the consistency aspect of it too, right? You know, yeah. Uh, yep. It's it's never big changes never really happen. Typically happen overnight, but it's that consistent grind over time that ends up creating the change that you want to see. And so, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and Mike, we've had we've had conversations about this too. Just even with like you know doing mm -hmm. a whole like the whole podcast thing, right? Like we just want to we just want to build something, and in order to build something, it takes time. You got to do a lot of groundwork. You got to, I mean, we got to edit stuff. We got to record with people. We got to think about stuff ahead of time. And that, you know, I mean, that's like an extra 10, 15 hours a week that we're not <laughs> playing video games or hanging out or watching movies or, you know, doing stuff that's not what seems like work. But the thing is like the more that you do it and regardless of what avenue it is, if you stay consistent with it and you try to build that found work and that foundation, you know, three, four, five years down the road, it's something way bigger than, <laughs> than what you could have even imagined. And that's the kind of like that consistency that you're talking about, that constant, you know, just stay true to yourself and make sure you're producing and doing things that, yeah. that make you proud. And down the road, like that ripple effect is going to be so much well, greater I mean, than what you've ever I mean, imagined. you talk about that mindset and that couldn't be more true for myself. I mean, I've ever since, you know, Jake, like yourself, like I, I took my boards early. I, I started my first job literally a week after I, I graduated my last clinical and I got right to work and I've just been grinding since day one, like trying mm -hmm. to advocate for the profession and be the best PT I could be. And, you know, starting my social media account and staying true and authentic to myself and, and living by what I'm most passionate about. And it's led to some really great opportunities for myself to guest lecture at schools, teach workshops, talk to guys like you, start to become somewhat of a, of a leader in this field and advocate for you know, what I think is doing right by the profession. And, and that's just come by virtue of hard work and grinding by what you believe in. Hmm. 
but it's also taken time. You know, yeah. it's you blink and it's like, wow, I've almost been out for three years now, and that's kind of crazy to me. <laughs> but you know, that's you know, it's not a lot of time, but it's definitely a, three years of grinding is definitely enough time to start to see some results for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even even like, I mean, this is kind of a, a stupid and petty analogy, but I mean, if you just kind of use the model of of like Instagram, right? Like if you post one thing every month, that's not, you know, you're not really, I guess, producing a bunch of content, right? But if you do, and I guess, Mike, this even kind of goes back to the whole non-zero mindset, but you just, you do something every day that's getting toward your goal. And then you're, you turn around, you're like, holy crap, look, look at all this stuff I accomplished in three years. You know, it's that just keeping your your head down and grinding and, and just doing what you love and being authentic to yourself. And, and that's when, just like you are, you are now, I mean, you're only three years out, but I mean, if you asked me like two months ago when I was scrolling through Instagram, like you and Jason and Sam are the, you know, those are, those are people that I'm looking to like strength coach to their therapy, simple strength physio, the strength therapist. Like those are the people that I see popping up, producing good content and making me go, Oh, huh. Hmm. You know, I gotta, I gotta think about this a different way, or maybe I'm wrong about how I've been approaching this whole topic the whole time. And so like, I mean, Dude, you've you've done a tremendous amount in only three years, and that's that's all credit to your mindset and and just you know you doing <laughs> well, what you're I appreciate that, awesome. and it really does come back to like I don't. It's funny. I was reading something the other day in this Grant Cardone book, and it was just talking about how I've kind of been criticized by some of my friends and family for like being a workaholic, and they're like, dude, like, do you ever take a break? Do you ever rest? Like, da 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 da. And I'm like. I just love what I freaking do. And like when you, when you are so in love with what you do, it's hard to stop and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be criticized for, for that. I think you should be champion for that. And I think that's part of the issue is I would never like my goal is not to make the entire world like workaholics, but I think we do need to kind of shift the way that we think about, you know, belittling workaholics and more so encouraging people that are passionate about it to get after it. Like, if you love what you do, like do it. The only thing that's missing is action. Like take action and <laughs> get after your dreams and like, let's go. Like I'm tired of feeling insecure about people being like, Oh, well you, you, you just put so much work in. I'm like, well, sorry. I'm not sorry. Like <laughs> I love what I do. And you know, all I can hope is that people fall in love with what they do as well. And if you're in physical therapy, I think that physical therapists should be in love with that because there's too many complacent people in the field you know, I graduated with 90 students in my class and maybe, maybe 15 to 20 of them are people that I would send my family and friends to. Hmm. So we graduated, we graduated 70 <laughs> kids that in my opinion are just like not passionate about PT at all. And like, that's not the type of people that we need in the field. It's like, we don't need, we don't need clock punchers. We need people that are inspired to genuinely make a difference in the humans that we're serving. Right. <laughs> The money will come. The money will come when you're doing what you love. But man, like it really gets me fired up when I think about the lack of passion in this profession. So it's just getting people like like you guys, like giving everyone to just like level up <laughs> and um, kind of just like take charge and lead by example. Like we need to just get loud and passionate about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 where I'm at. Now you just uh that that was fire. <laughs> you just fired up. You, you right just, I got I got motivation induced tachycardia right now, 
Zach, I don't, I don't know if you know, but I do have a pacemaker, so you got to be careful with that stuff, okay? <laughs> Dude, that was not in the contraindications and precautions before going on this podcast. You're lucky, though, because it's a combo pacemaker ICD, so if I pass out, it should bring me back to life pretty quickly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> But, but yeah, dude, just just like what you're talking about, like I, I've I've had this conversation with Mike before, and even with with some of the people that I live with, like there is literally like a handful of people from my PT class that I would refer to. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it, it's weird. You get, and I'm sure like those same people probably would think the same because they, you know, they're probably on the other end of the spectrum. Like, oh, I'm not gonna refer to that guy. He's weird. He does weird stuff. Like I do everything by the book. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. But, um, yeah, just <laughs> there's, yeah, there's very few people in my, in my PT class that I would probably send my family to. And I think that's the sad thing though, is that you could probably say that's a commonality for the majority of PT programs across the country. Hmm. Yeah. That's why. And, and that's, it's sad. Right. And that's why, like when I write recommendation letters, I've written, I've written three recommendation letters for students that I truly believe in. And they're bright kids, but they demonstrate that growth mindset. They are passionate about it. They want to be great, you know, and not, they don't want to be great to compete with their classmates and be petty. They want to compete with themselves to literally get better every day. And those are the type of students that are going to crush PT school and become amazing clinicians or whatever the heck they do within this space of PT. Hmm. That's why that's like such the epicenter of my sort of what I advocate for and why I'm such a believer in mindset is because I really believe that that is the, that should be the foundation of everyone's toolbox when they're going out of school. You know, if they have that mindset, they have that desire to critical think they will be beasts. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm okay. I don't know if you could hear me, but I was being speechless. <laughs> yeah. It's the sound of our minds exploding right over here. So <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, can you, it's kind of hard to argue with that though, no? No, it's still true. <laughs> no. Like, and that's my whole argument. That's my whole basis for this whole level up thing too, is like, I really think that by instilling this unique sort of skill set, if you will, it's going to set people up to be great at whatever system they want to do, whatever they, you know, whatever sort of, you know, character treatment path they want to go down like they'll be awesome at it whether they want to own a clinic whether they want to run a social media account whether they want to do public speaking and teach a workshop you know it starts with this mindset yeah it's 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 funny because uh like mike and i have we have a group chat with uh sam and jason nice uh, called evidence-based friendships (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) but uh I mean, we, we talk about a lot of stuff like that all the time, just, you know, like questioning each other, kind of challenging each other's growth, you know, asking clinical questions, all sorts of stuff like that. But one of the conversations that we've had that I often think about fondly is like the realization that like, dude, in 15 years, like the four of us are going to be teaching a con ed course somewhere. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, like, or even Zach with you, like at some point there's going to be some sort of taking that whole collaborative concept to God, God for, or I apologize for saying this to the next level, <laughs> dude, that's trademarked. I'm coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Mike Warehan and also Zach, um, for Mike using your, your terminology class as well. Was he really in the small? Yep. He's in Ithaca. Alone. Yeah. He's a good dude. I see baby. I see DPT. We out. Let's go. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, that's the crazy thought to me is that, like, you know, it's going to be this group of, like, the hungry new grads that want to challenge the status quo. Like, you know, maybe maybe things aren't quite where they should be right now, but you think 10, 15 years down the road when all the old heads have kind of phased out and it's it's our our class, yeah. like we're going to be the ones running these con ed courses and we're going to be the ones inspiring younger, younger people, younger clinicians to like go out and literally grab life by the balls and just be the, you know, the best PT you can be. Well, and that's why, you know, you talk about kind of, um, you talk about kind of making our growth like fail proof. And it's like, if we can embrace these mindsets of critical thinking early on, like we're not going to be those, those, you know, quote unquote dinosaurs that are uncomfortable challenging the way we've always done things. Like we will be comfortable with growth. We will be comfortable with having hungry new grads challenge the way that we do stuff. Cause that's how we get better. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the whole thing is like, we need to get across the point that this is not coming at a place from like, you know, screw PT. Like, you know, I can't believe I'm learning this stuff. It's coming from a place of like, can we all just like take a good hard look in the mirror and get better together? Like, mm-hmm. geez, like I'm not like, again, I don't want to feel bad for being a workaholic. I don't want to feel bad for being a critical thinker, but I'm the crazy one. Like I'm the one that's looked at like a crazy person when I think that I'd, I'd, I'd argue the complete opposite. Like I think everyone should be having these mindsets of, of challenge and being comfortable with that. It comes from a good place, mm-hmm. comes from a place of growth. And we're in a profession that serves freaking humans. And if we can't embrace the fact that they are the star of the show and that, you know, it's not about us anymore, like, that's that's when we're going to grow and we can swallow that pill and make that shift. But that but that's the tricky part too about it at the same time is like because we're human our natural tendency is to you know default to the authority, right? To just kind of accept these things. And then to once we establish this belief system to just kind of like firmly entrench ourselves in it and then when somebody comes along that challenges it we're just like nope, nope, don't want to look at you, don't want to see you, don't talk to me. You're wrong, I'm right, go away. Well, that's- that's part right? of what's hindered my account growth is like, and that's fine. I don't want to have a large account. I want to have people that are engaged in my content, but I know that I turn a lot of people off because I'm not afraid to challenge the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And that makes people uncomfortable. And like you said, that's human nature, but you know, I'm not going to sit idly by and just take things the way they are. Like, especially when the argument is valid as heck, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, it's an argument that in my opinion, isn't even an argument. I, I don't understand why we're still having this conversation. Is that not it? Like there is no, like I understand it's hard. I understand if you listen, Jason Silvernail has an awesome, awesome, awesome presentation called crossing the chasm. And he talks about how it's not like we just, Oh, we just take this little leap across a, you know, a little clip, like a, like a one foot gap in a cliff. It's like, no, it's like, it's hard. It takes time. There's a lot of um, different types of landscapes and obstacles in the way. But at the same time, like, I just think that that's not necessarily an excuse for us to sit around and wait for it to happen. Like we can't wait for change to happen. Like us hungry individuals need to go out and make it happen. Mm-hmm. No. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, you just got to do the Gandhi thing, right? You got to be the change you, you want to see in the world. Amen. <laughs> you know, um, and you can't uh, that that pass passiveness that is just so easy to to do, especially. I mean, I mean, we we talk about it in the PT profession, but it can be in anything. Yeah. Right. Um, if you if you want something to change, you have to do you have to do something. 
You've got to move. It's just like in PT, right? Move. Stop not moving and start moving. It's really scary for people to take responsibility for that and and take accountability for that. It's it's scary to think about fearing failure and the amount of effort and work and energy that it might take to accomplish something, and that deters people from getting started in the first place. Dude, it's but, the same. It's the same combo we had on in the Instagram DMs last night. Yeah, you know, like that whole. There's a hesitancy to adopt that internal locus of control because it's easy to just scapegoat your way out of stuff. Yeah. If, it's, if if my pain is not my fault or, you know, this profession being the way it is, is not my fault. It's somebody else's or it's their problem. They're the ones that need to deal with it. Right. I need a surgeon to fix my shoulder. I need you to manipulate me because, you know, that's what's wrong with me. But it's at the same time, like if we can just get people to see that the the beauty of of kind of adopting that and being vulnerable and being broken is the fact that, you know, you are human and you are broken and we can exist in that kind of vulnerable state together and make each other better versus being afraid to do that. Well, you said the key word there and that's together. And that's what it's all about is it's not about placing it on. This is your fault. I'm in pain. This is my fault. I'm in pain. Like let's put that aside and let's work together and figure out ways that, like you said, I think uh, there's a, there's a really smart PT from England, Ben Cormack. And he talks about a big thing. I love what he talks about is, um, kind of reframing expectations and like you Mm -hmm. said, like finding sort of beauty, if you will, in some of these quote unquote imperfections or, you know, dysfunctions and talking about how that's an opportunity to grow, but also how it is unrealistic to expect like zero, zero out of 10 pain, whatever that is, you know, for folks that have been having persistent pain for five to 10 years, like, that's not fair to say like, I should expect to be zero out of 10, like maybe in time, I don't know, but like we can definitely make legitimate positive changes that help you get back to doing the things you want to do and with less pain. And you know, it's, it's being okay with that shift and not feeling like we have to be these like fixers. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's why like we are, we're doomed from the start too. And I, I thought about this, talked about this with Nick Hanna, the other week, but if you literally look up what iatrogenesis means, it, it means brought forth from the healer. And I thought that was crazy because <clears throat> healer is in the verb, is in the verbiage. Like, you know, if we're calling ourselves healers, we were kind of doomed from the start because well-intentioned, but now we're kind of digging ourselves out of a hole. Yeah. It's funny because I've had conversations with my patients like that and they're like, oh man, you did this and you know, thank you so much. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just have a couple more letters after my name that don't really mean anything at the end of the day. And you know, I've taken some classes on anatomy, but you did all this stuff on your own. I just kind of sprinkled in some advice here and there and told you not to do this. Yeah. Like really, you're just coming to hang out with me and, and have me tell you like, oh, you know, maybe this is a better exercise than that one. And giving them permission to move. <laughs> a lot of times, yeah. a lot of times, it's empowering them and giving them permission to move. So, if we're bringing this full circle back to our earlier conversation, it's talking about, you know, when we can rule out sinister pathology, we can rule out red flags. Like, you give them permission to move. Like, they are not going to break. And you start to build up meaningful strategies based in movement and strengthening. And like, man, the human body is resilient AF, and they will get better on their own. And like you said, they come hang out, you build a good relationship, and that's that. End of story. 
Dude, it's it reminds me of uh, this was one of my favorite kind of like find your why moments and or find your why moments in PT. I remember t- talking to Mike about this a couple weeks ago. Um, but I had a one of my patients had been in a car accident in uh, in December, and she had a an L two compression fracture. And by the time she came in for uh, you know our PT initial eval, she was just like in a bad place. Yep. And so I took her into a, an exam room and she literally looks at me and says, if you can't fix me, I don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And so most of our evaluation was literally talking about like, Hey, you're, you're six weeks out of this fracture. Like, you know, there we'll, we'll kind of look at stuff and assess things, but based on what your doctor said and you know, the fact that they've x-rayed you again, you know, nothing looks concerning at all. Like healing wise, you're, you're good structurally. Like you should be pretty solid. Like you, you can move. It's not, you know, you're not going to damage anything if you move and just kind of like that. I mean, it was a much longer conversation than that 30 <laughs> seconds, but, <laughs> I, I, but by, the, by the end of, by the end of just that first session, it was somebody who was so afraid to move, couldn't do anything at home, couldn't pick up her daughter, um, couldn't do any childcare because she thought anything that she did was going to make her back worse. And then seeing her kind of find that realization that like, hey, you know what? Like I, I can do stuff. I can be normal again. Dude, like it was, it was just to see that change like that fast was, was pretty great. Yeah, dude. And that's such an awesome story. And just to let you know, you could do that in 30 seconds if you were a level 10. In communication. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's why I need to learn more about this level up initiative. <laughs> Because it seems like I need to quest together with people, yeah. Um, so that I can, I too can level up. <laughs> yeah, man. Take it to the next That's level. Um, I'm still 20 experience points away from level mm-hmm. five new grad PT. So <laughs> hopefully, by the end of this. But t- wait, time out though, because I do want to just say um, what you just talked about, Jake. Is that's like. That's it. Like that's the stuff that we live for as PTs. Like especially like if you're it's regardless of whether you're in the performance world or, you know, in the outpatient ortho world or neuro, like when you can get those shifts in belief and sort of just that, that look of conviction in their eyes, that is like, that's what I call erector pile city. Mm-hmm. That's when the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Just oh, oh, oh yeah. Like those are the warm fuzzy moments, dude, man. For real. Like I get goosebumps thinking about some of those moments and it's just, it's so powerful, man. And that's, that's the stuff. That's the stuff. That's like, the, and it, it was cool because like she had such an emotional, mm-hmm. like she cried by the end of the session, that first session, she she was like in tears. Yeah. And so we kind of hugged it. We hugged it out. Love that. Um, and <laughs> it was just, it was a great moment as like week two of, of new grad work. It made the six hours of documentation I had to do at home that night much better. Um, but yeah. <laughs> there you go. We can move on from that. I but just wanted to make sure I got that in because that was a great story, and I appreciate you sharing it. Um, we kind of skated around a little bit, and it's it's been like hinted at and dropped. You know, some some terms have been dropped. But do you wanna do you wanna kind of go down the level up rabbit hole now? Would you like to tell us about what's going on? Yeah, I think we I, see I, the posts. We've heard the heard the 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 things in the wind. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I would uh, definitely love to chat about it a bit, and. Um, we don't necessarily have to go down a super rabbit hole, but I think discussing some of the core values and principles and kind of what to expect over the next couple of months, I'd love to do that. So freaking do you know, basically, yeah. basically it's, you know, the level up initiative is 
something I've been kind of searching for, like soul searching for the past year or so, thinking about, you know, I love teaching, right? I've been doing workshops. Um, I've been doing guest lecturing. I have a ton of students that come by in shadow, and I love working with students. Like I've, because I got to TA at Ithaca, I TA'd for two cohorts of PTs. So, and there's like 90 kids a class. So even coming out of school, I was mentoring a ton of students. And I love that. I really love it. And the commonality behind all of that was, you know, I love more so like motivating students. That's what I think makes good educators. And when you're passionate about it and you can motivate them and make them feel something, that's some powerful stuff. And after listening to some some nice motivational podcasts and, and things like what makes great persuaders. I kind of had an aha moment where I was like, holy crap. Like I think more than anything, like what makes me successful as a clinician, what makes me successful as an educator, what makes me successful as a mentor is my ability to, you know, sort of evoke or elicit these emotional responses from people where they get inspired and, you know, have these shifts in mindset. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like I want to, I want to create something that capitalizes on my skill set in that arena. And, you know, the Level Up initiative is exactly that, where it's, it's a platform that really is based in mentoring and inspiring people to exactly what it says, corny as it is, but to level up and just get comfortable challenging themselves, get comfortable being uncomfortable and, um, and growing from that because regardless of whether you want to be a great clinician, regardless of whether you want to be a clinic owner, regardless of you want to be a public speaker or presenter, whatever, having this mindset shift is so powerful. And I really want to make that my life's work to educate in that sort of niche rather than continuing to dive down. Like I love pain science. I love, you know, performance, but there's already so many people doing fantastic jobs of that. Like Clinical athlete is amazing. Like Institute of Clinical Excellence is awesome. There's so many people doing fantastic clinical stuff. I, for me, this was kind of like the missing link in our continuing education, and it's what I'm most passionate about. So, yeah, I'll be creating an online platform that offers mentorship from from myself first. Right? I'll be getting I'll be getting about eight students and eight uh, colleagues ready this summer. So there will be 16 mentors ready to go in August, and then they will be the ones actually mentoring in small groups of four to six students and new grads for four-month mm. curriculums. And it's all free. It's not, it's not a crazy sort of um, commitment. It's basically, you know, for example, the first four modules are each module is based on the month. So it's growth mindset, critical thinking, listening, mm. and communicating. And each month is based around those skill sets. And so it'll be a webinar recorded by myself or like a module and then a guest webinar module from some of the really cool friends that I have that are great lecturers. And then you're going to be meeting in your group once a month for an hour to two hour, you know, Zoom sort of video chat where you're sitting together and you're talking about these pointed questions and discussing how you can integrate it into both your personal and professional development. And then... What is really the cool part for me is the mission is to inspire people to really become mentors for the next generation. So let's say you two go through it, right? As uh, you go through level one of your of your mentorship, <laughs> right? Yes. So let's say you guys in August, let's up. say you guys go through your mentorship in level one in August, right? It'll be August till November. 
that January, you would start up as mentors for level one for nice. the next cohort. And then you guys would mentor for your four to six students and be phenomenal, you know, um, leaders for them, role models. And then that you would have that summer off. And then the following fall for that second tier, there'd be two tiers. That second tier, you would reset as mentees again for a more, not clinically based, but it would be these kind of a little bit more entrenched into the clinical realm. And then you would then become mentors for level two. And then that would be the end of kind of like the free sort of two year commitment to mentorship and, and investing in the profession. But in, there will be a ton of other sort of free content along the way in terms of whether it's Instagram campaigns and webinars and modules, the podcast I'll be doing. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's a really cool idea and there's a lot of support from a lot of students and, and professionals. Yeah, no, I love, I love everything about that. Um, I love that you have the opportunity to be both the mentee and the mentor. So you get to like learn all these skills and like acquire these skills and then you get to like hammer them home and, and help kind of instill and perpetuate the process. Uh, because it's one thing to learn it, but then once you are teaching it too, it really hammers it home for you and you also get to pay it forward and help somebody else through it. So I think that's a really awesome model. Mike, I love well, the Haley Joel Osment movie reference. <laughs> Glad you caught that. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it's like it really, when I drew it out on the board the first time, I was cracking up because I was like, "Holy crap, this looks like a pyramid <laughs> scheme!" But it's like, but it's like a pyramid scheme of awesomeness and progressing our profession forward and leveling up the the quality of care for humanity. So. If that's wrong, then I don't want to be right. And um, if Katy Perry and margaritas are wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> but uh, no, man, it's it's exciting stuff. So basically, I will be I'm working with a group of students right now, um, and they'll be going through as pilots um, in the next month or two. But you know, I have I have my eight students ready to go. I have I have plenty. I have more than eight colleagues that want to get started, but. For now, I'm keeping it at that. So I have 16 mentors ready in August for the first official round because they'll be taking on each four to six students. And, you know, the cool thing is, is that even before launching this, we already had like 40 students that wanted in. So, you know, it's it's all about that engagement. And all it takes is a handful of really passionate people. And we're going to make some noise. Dude, that's so cool. Um I don't have you. So this whole kind of this whole topic kind of reminds me of something that uh, I studied in my in like a media studies class I took in an undergrad, and that's the whole principle of like gamification. Are you familiar with that at all? Drop some knowledge on me, brother. All right. So gamification, and it it, it very much fits into kind of what you're talking about because of the whole like like level up terminology, and it's basically taking um, aspects that you that are that trying to hold on, how to best phrase this it basically takes concepts from role playing video games that make them so effective and so addictive to people like the yeah. whole level up system being rewarded like seeing progress seeing growth okay. seeing change yeah. um and applying that to you know different everyday things and so i feel like even though you don't you probably have obviously have never really heard of it or looked into it it's kind of the little philosophy that you're you're using whether or not you realize it at least part of it um and it's it's a very interesting concept and you you see it with um 
with all sorts of stuff nowadays, you know, like credit cards or um, <clears throat> like, yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I totally, I, I know exactly what you're talking about and it's, it's so true. It is very addictive in a positive way. Yeah. And so I, I love that you're, I mean, I know cause we've, I've, we've had conversations on, on Insta where I've, I'm, I'm usually the one that writes those very weird and hilarious, nerdy, uh, nerdy, nerdy reference things. Yeah. That's, that's usually me. Um, I love it. <laughs> but even just, you know, with everything that you're talking about and seeing, trying to, for lack of a better term, level up people, um, but just, just inspiring and see change and see growth and trying to do it in a, um, in, in the way that you're describing it is it just reminds me a lot of that whole concept of gamification. Um, and there's a couple, yeah, no, dude, I'll send you, I'll send you some Ted talks cause there's a couple cool ones about that and how, that. how you can use that for, for like growth and benefit. Um, it's really cool. That'll be, that's date night for me and for me and Steph, we, we tend to watch nerdy stuff. So that works perfect. I'll have to, I'll have to find it, but it's a really sweet Ted, Ted talk. No, that's, um, that's smart. Yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of it is just po- that positive psychology, figuring out ways to get people motivated and inspired. I think Mike dropped out. He'll come back in. His internet in Florida is not so good sometimes. No so um, he'll, he'll pop back in. Um, yeah. So I know we've, so we've hit kind of some of the big topics um, that we, we wanted to, but there's also the whole topic of gains that I don't think we've really truly approached. We focus a lot on like, you know, motivation and, and personal growth and kind of your background and how you, how you got into like the biopsychosocial model. But, um, talk to me about your CSCS and your, your performance background. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, I kind of, there was a lot to be desired from the, um, you know, Therex education and PT school. And since I just went straight through and was like, I didn't have time to get my undergrad in exercise science and then go do internships. Like I didn't even know that that's really what I wanted to do. So, you know, that's kind of the, you talk about the pros and cons of the accelerated programs. And I think that one of the big cons is the ability to not get those experiences first. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of learned on the fly, you know, after, after I took summer anatomy, they were offering a couple of positions at the fitness center at Ithaca to, um, become trainers. And I was like, hell, and they pay for, you know, a certification that you want. And so I started training and, uh, it was a great application. I mean, I didn't know really much besides like bro science from T nation and (laughs) learning from those, learning from those people like Tony G and Cressy and Boyle and all them, um, were a lot of my big influencers but then I kind of just took the SC, uh, CSCS because I was between that and like a personal training cert. And I was like, if they're going to pay for something and I need to get one to train here, like I might as well just get the CSCS because that seems to be the quote unquote gold standard and what's, you know, might open more doors in the, you know, PT route. So that was ultimately why I did it. But I'm definitely a big advocate of, you know, I think the training certs are a little irrelevant in terms of like, I think it shows that you have a good background knowledge. I think that it's also a little unfair because PTs in general are just really good test takers. Yeah. So I think that with our background, taking the CSCS really isn't like too crazy in terms of accomplishing that. Not to say it's not like a respected and, and difficult test. I'm just saying that like PTs specifically are in a good position to succeed in that test just because of their schooling and the way that we go through some of the challenging tests in our program. Um, 
but you know, it's nothing without shadowing. It's nothing without getting that actual practical experience. So, you know, that's what I'm a big advocate for. And my whole first year out was mostly doing, going to different strength and conditioning workshops, seminars, um, getting into more of that performance side of PT and just a lot of shadowing and then getting to be a trainer at Ithaca for, for two and a half years was a great way for me to apply that. And that really, I really had that mindset shift of how important it was in PT getting away from like all the kind of fluffy exercises and manual therapy and really hammering down on like, let's move, let's load, you know, let's build up strength. So that's why I've been kind of gung ho about advocating for that, especially in rehab. And, um, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, I don't necessarily work in that exos type of, um, gym setting where I'm doing periodization and things like that. But that being said, I think those concepts still hold water, but it becomes a lot different when you're working in more of that pain realm and, and not in that sort of like performance realm. Gotcha. So feel free to pick away and ask some questions from that. Cause I know that was kind of a word vomit. Um, trying to think. So what, as far as like equipment that you guys have at your, at your facility, I know you mentioned working with like a hockey team. Do yep. you guys have like a, do you have like squat racks and all sorts of like, so we do have a portable squat rack, but it's pretty dope. I mean, we have, when I went in and interviewed, I was like so hyped because we have a trap bar, we have a barbell, we have plates, bumper plates, um, pull up bar bands, kettlebells up to 90 pounds, dumbbells up to 60 pounds, uh, cable tower, um, you know, it's all I could dream of as a insurance clinic. And so I'm pretty pumped to get to work there. Dude, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I feel kind of blessed because the, the clinic that I'm at right now, um, is a brand new facility and they've got like, uh, a whole like gym side of the building. So like, we've got like rogue power racks. We've got all sorts of like equipment. We have like indoor field turf. Um, and it's kettlebells up to hundred pounds. I think we're trying to get 150 or 200 pound one too, but it, it, dude, it's a game changer. You know what I think the biggest thing is too, is it sets the tone. Like as soon as they walk in, it sets the tone that like, they're not here to lay on a table and get massaged. Like you're coming here to do work. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and it's, it's fun too. Like, yeah. cause we have, we have a more traditional therapy side of the building and we, we also have like a gym side. And, um, I think, I think for a lot of people to be in that environment, that's a little bit more active. And like, you see people working out, you see people like, you know, we've got kids in there training for, um, you know, high school football or basketball or volleyball, and they're in there doing box jumps or Olympic lifting. And to take someone even who, you know, let's say it's a 65 year old, um, lady that just had a knee replacement, but taking it over there and being in that environment, a lot of people are just like, Oh, this is cool. Like you guys have so much fun stuff going on. Like I want to do that. You know, I think there's, there's something to being able to offer that to a patient and show them that, you know, like you said, this isn't the place where you're going to come in and just get your butt rubbed for 30 minutes. Right. We have stuff to help you move and we expect you to move. And we have the the ability to like, you know, do stuff that you want to do again. Especially if you have you have people come in with uh, injuries from like CrossFit or powerlifting or Olympic lifting, you know it Absolutely. lets you really really get back into it. <laughs> yeah, because because doing like shoulder internal or external rotation with a Korean TheraBand for three sets of ten for three weeks is not gonna is that's not how you do it. 
Yeah, I won't. I won't quote what Quinn calls those, <laughs> but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't want to say it. I'll text you guys after. Just yeah, just 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 type it in the type it in the Google Doc, because I'll probably laugh at it. I'm I'm sure I'm sure I've seen it, but <laughs> did you see I, it? Oh. <laughs> well, that's what that's what internal and external rotation looks like when you're doing with the green therabands. I think it's more. What about tricep extension? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of tricep extension involved with that. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a dual task. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, dude. It's it's funny though, because like as a, I feel like I feel like for the vast compared to the vast majority of like outpatient PT clinics and stuff like. Being in a clinic like you're at or one that I'm I'm at, like it's it's a blessing because not a lot of people have those resources. Yep, absolutely. But, and, uh, but I also think that's a reflection of of the mindset, just the general mindset that like, you know, we've kind of had this passive status quo PT environment for a long time. Yep. Yeah, man, it's getting comfortable mm-hmm. stepping out and advocating for what's really right, and 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 that's the thing is it doesn't mean that like. You know, when, you know, Grandma Ethel comes into the clinic, I'm not shoving her on the trap bar or going (laughs) crazy hard on, like, weightlifting progressions. Like, you got to meet people with where they're at. But Mm -hmm. that being said, I think it still sets the tone that it's a more progressive clinic that is going to not just do arbitrary manual therapy to bill for minutes. And that's, like, part of what keeps me up at night and is part of my vendetta against certain types of mills in this industry that are just so unethical that it really gets me upset. Yeah. Cause it's not about the person anymore. No. And I've been there. I mean, I was at a clinic that was seeing over 30 patients in a day in seven hours. Ugh. And like a lot of it's movement based, but still, man, that's not in my dojo. Like that's effed up. Yeah. That's unacceptable. Right. <laughs> but that's, a, but that's a lot of what PT is and people were just so like, I don't know. Do you guys ever listen to Greg Todd? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not as well versed in him yeah, as I feel a, like it should be, but fired, I do. He's a fired up dude. Like if you ever, if you're ever having like a day where you need motivation, like listen to him because he he he'll get you fired up. But he talks about how like as a profession we need to do better at defining what we do and how do we do that? We become we get louder on social media. Like I think that. I get frustrated when folks talk about being loud as like a negative connotation because there's differences in what you're being loud about. Like when you're being loud about advocating all the good that we can accomplish with PT, I think that that's different. And I think that that is what we need. And that's what Greg Todd talks about is what we need to get our profession to the next level is by getting people to become louder, passionate, you know, hungry people that are displaying what it is we do. So people know. But yeah, because people just don't know. Exactly. And you have like, it's almost like a stigma and a stereotype too. So it's like, oh, did you get PT? You know, and then, or we're like, you need PT. So what What are the first things that they think of? Okay, so it's table exercises or I'm going to get stretched out or anything like this. But it's so, so much yep. more that we can offer. Uh, and, you know, we need Absolutely. to be that change. Or even even one of the one of the things that I hear pretty frequently, um, I had a patient the other day that came in and uh, her, both of her parents had been to our clinic, and uh, she was coming in for some knee pain. And I, you know, I asked her, I was like, oh, have you ever been to PT before? And she's like, no, but, you know, my mom and my dad swear by this place, but I'm just so worried, like, you guys are going to make my knee hurt. And I was like, what? 
And she's like, yeah, you're just going to get me on the table. You're going to crank my knee around. You're going to make it hurt. I just, I don't want that to happen. And in my head, I'm thinking like, all right, well, the odds of me actually like doing a significant amount of manual therapy to you are very, very small. Um, but then it was kind of addressing that, that fear that like, because for some people, when, when I guess your, your mindset is manual therapy first all the time, sometimes that can be painful. You know what I mean? And if you have that mindset of like, oh, well, we have to do this to address this joint dysfunction or this or that, like you need to move better, but you need this. I don't know that that's right, man. You know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. I really, I actually really don't, um, I actually really don't use a ton of manual in my clinic. Like I'll use it as I need to meet patients with where they're at. Like if that's what their expectations are. But I'll also be very upfront about saying, like, look, day one, we lay out, we sit down, I listen to them and, you know, actually listen to understand where they're coming from. And uh, we lay out a logical game plan. Like, that's what I do. I don't give them an HEP printout. I write on the whiteboard game plan with smiley face explanation (laughs) points. And we talk about we talk about logical solutions to address their sensitivities because they're with me at a generous amount. Like it's the 99, 99 and one rule that I have. They're with us at most 1% of the week. And that's being generous. If they don't understand what they need to be doing the other 99% of the time in terms of addressing their stressors, then I'm doing them a disservice. They're the ones that are going to be getting themselves better. And then we're just enhancing it with some of the visits that we get to use. So we lay down logical game plans. I might write down a couple of the exercises that I have them doing at home. And that's it. But I don't write, here's your homework. I say, here's the game plan. And we're going to get after this together. We may use manual therapy at some point to help get us moving. Or if things are, you know, if they're in acute pain, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a hard O and, and just refuse to use it. But especially with the more persistent pain, I'm less likely to use. Come on, Grandma Ethel. You can't leave till you get a 405 deadlift. <laughs> Let's go. I came back. I'll rub your butt after you pull that heavy weight. I came back from an Olympic lifting course, and I was like, yo, I'm making all my Grandma Ethels go through my snatch progressions on Monday. <laughs> Dude, that's it, – I, I love that. I love that, that mindset of how you approach, mm-hmm. like, working with patients. And I'm totally going to steal, like, all sorts of your little tips and tricks, too. Please do, man. That's um, my, my hope. Is that, <laughs> dude, it's the little things, man. It's the little things that really help facilitate that therapeutic alliance that are, like, so – like, that's the thing I say all the time. If you come shadow me at the clinic, you're not going to see a ton of fancy manual stuff. What you're going to see is my ability to create great relationships with patients in the way that I communicate with them. By no means is it perfect, but I think that – over the years, it's gotten to a point that I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of, and that will continue to get better. But you know, that's my biggest skill set. That's where I that's where I place most of my eggs in terms of getting better on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Is that ability? It's that Mike. It's that Maya Angelou quote. Yes. Right. People people are gonna forget what you say and what you do, Make but they're never gonna forget how mm-hmm. how you made them feel. But that and you know, again, bringing it full circle back to level up initiative. That is the quote that inspired me to make this change is I'm, I'm investing or I'm kind of like believing in my ability to do exactly that on a larger scale for the good of the profession is to make people feel something in order to get better and, and just inspired to become <laughs> beasts. 
No, I love that. That's great. Love it. Dude, I, I can't tell you how much <laughs> I want to level up so hard right now. No. Yo, actually, so while while I have you guys real quick, and this is cool for anyone else listening that wants to be involved, we're doing a little bit of a campaign, and it's going to be really cool. And then I do have to run. Um, okay. But – I would do. We got to figure out another time to chat too, because this was super fun. We could nerd out like for hours. But um, so what we're doing is, you know, two things. So um, the the guy I'm working with doing my graphic design, you know, we're gonna get. I'm doing a shoot on Wednesday where we're gonna get superimposed images of of you know me looking at me, kind of mm. like challenging myself, and uh, superimposing that into one photo and talking about the importance of growth mindset and being comfortable challenging yourself for the growth of the profession. And I'm going to be having people involved in level up, sending me those images um, of those two separate photos of them in the same frame, looking at themselves, challenging themselves. And, uh, and then my, my friend is going to be putting those together and, you know, it's going to give more human side of it where let's say, you know, Jake, you're doing it. And it's like, this is why I'm leveling up. This is why this movement is important to me. This is why I think it's important to challenge myself. And that's sort of the campaign we're going to be rolling with on the Instagram account is just showcasing all of the awesome, passionate PTs and students that want to be involved in this and demonstrating and showcasing their whys through ph- photography and some powerful words. Amazing. So if you guys are able to get, to get those over, you know, in the next couple of weeks, that would be dope. And, uh, and we'll get that fired up. And to anyone else listening, who's in, who's involved in level up, I'll be making an announcement when I, when I drop the image, but if you hear this and you want to reach out to me about more details, please. Cause that's, that's the whole movement is getting everyone involved and just collaboratively making a difference. Zach, I don't know if you could hear me, but I was doing some <laughs> TheraBand exercises real quick. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right well we know we know you got to go so mike i think it's about that time yes i think so and so there's a, there's one question that we always ask everybody at the end of our show so so we here at the movement docs we believe in always moving forward in all that you do so based on all of your previous experiences and knowledge and life love the pursuit of happiness what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of to themselves? be perfectly honest and this is corny but we really do when it comes to being the best version of yourself you have a choice it just is a matter of action so don't settle for an average mindset if you want to accomplish stuff act that is the biggest piece of advice i can give you worst case scenario you fail and you grow from that that's my biggest piece of advice so zach we have one more thing that uh we'd like to do because you're a pretty awesome dude and that is we would like to offer you the title of honorary movement doc dude it would be an honor and a privilege <laughs> so I don't I, I have a broadsword. It's in the other room. Um, maybe next time if we have like a Skype convo, I'll actually knight my laptop. Um, but uh, <laughs> we'll be in touch. Mike and I are we're gonna try and send we're gonna be sending some uh, some stuff out regarding honorary movement doc uh, uh, rewards and, and whatnot. Sir simple so, strength. Um, yes. Sir <laughs> <So> simple strength. <laughs> I might have um, to change my handle so, to that then. <laughs> we should make like a we should make some sort of like uh patch or something for people to put on their flight jackets 
Um, just because I, I imagine, I just, I just picturing Zach with like a Top Gun like leather flight jacket and aviators on. Boys, this um, has been so fun, man. I really, I really appreciate you guys. You guys are some really like, just for the amount of stuff that you guys have gone through academically and your and your histories. Like, you guys are true grinders and just like those go getters that are the type of people I want to be associated with. So kudos to you and keep, keep just epic pursuit of your mission and like you said you know you guys are the leaders of this this generation of pt so just keep it up all right uh so what is for those people that are listening that want to like get in touch with you what's the best way to do that so uh you can just slide into the dms at simple strength physio so that's the that would be the best (laughs) easiest way um and then the secondary account and if you're interested in following along is at the level up initiative. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that'll work. That's it. All right, dude. Thank you Great. so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. That loved was it. So fun. it was a bomb.com. Loved all the fire that you spit kind of mm-hmm. like Biggie and Tupac, but in a very dissimilar way. <laughs> um. No, that was, so, that was really like, to be perfectly honest with you, that was holy cow. I mean, if you take into account that we chatted for probably 20 minutes before, I mean, that was, that was a quick hour and 40 minutes. That was a blast. Um, passion driven. So thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, I look forward to our, our future conversations and our future nerdy RPG dialogues on Instagram DM. <laughs> oh, dude, just get, get away for it. Cause the movement docs, uh, tour is going to be happening at some point. I'm ready. We're going to be on the road. We're going to be on the road visiting people. I love it, man. <laughs> Save up those tokens and that's my oh, Mike, are you gonna outro? Are you, are you, yeah, are you yeah. okay? I I don't know sometimes. I get confused. Yeah, let's do it. So thanks again <laughs> for tuning in this week where we spoke with Dr. Zach Gabor. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. All right, guys, I'm gonna go do my therapy and exercises.